Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whenever you're listening to this podcast. This is David Valenzuela with I Wish Podcast. On today's show, we have an industry icon. I'm very, very excited to speak with Douglas Preston, celebrating his 43rd year in the industry with Preston Acne Pros. Douglas, welcome to the show. Thank you, David. Yeah, it's nice to be here, always. Absolutely. I love it. So we begin the show, each one of these shows, with um, asking our guest, when their interest in aesthetics began. Okay, well, that's an easy one. Uh, when I graduated from University of California, my plan was to become a family uh, psychotherapist, actually adult psychotherapist. And uh, I had uh, was beginning my internship uh, uh, leading towards licensing and was absolutely miserable. Mm -hmm. <laughs> going yep. through boxes of Kleenex, right? <laughs> and everybody, you cut, all your customers are unhappy and miserable. Not to denigrate that, of course, we all need therapy. Yeah. But um, yeah. but I couldn't see myself spending the next 40 years in that arrangement, even though there yeah. are other options. Uh, and I had a long talk with myself one day and said, okay, that's what you're supposed to do conventionally. What do you really mm -hmm. want to do? Well, my yeah. alter ego was in the appearance business, right? Fashion, glamour, all that sort of thing. Yeah. You know, hair, makeup, these things fascinated me. Yeah. So I f tossed it all aside, went to beauty college, became a um, makeup artist originally. Mm. And uh, uh, had seemed to have some talent there. So I was uh, did freelance work. And then I began to work uh, um, on contract for the various major color houses. Uh, in department stores, right? They'd farm me out to you know, Nordstrom, Neiman's, wherever, and uh, and Shiseido very often. Well, one day the the, the regional rep for Shiseido said, "Okay, guys, we're not going to focus on makeup anymore. We're going to focus on skincare." Mm. And it's like none of us knew anything about it, right? <laughs> you don't get it in beauty school, and yeah. so it's like, okay, you got to become a skincare expert by like the next time you come back here. So leave your makeup brushes at home and you know, your talking points. So uh, I realized I need to learn something about this. So I began to study uh, aesthetics, skincare. And it turned out that it was the best thing in the world because I was getting a little tired of you know, having to travel to job arrangements. I wanted a fixed location. Yeah. And that's really where it began. And so, uh, I, so I was a hybrid, right? And, uh, makeup artist and, uh, and uh, esthetician, skincare expert. And then over the years, one just sort of slowly atrophied and, uh, and I became uh, uh, who I am today in, a, in a conventional aesthetics and with an emphasis on acne therapy. Yes. And I love that. And I love my, I love talking about acne. It's ridiculous. But so from the, it's, it's so interesting to me where people actually make the connection from when they graduate from school to actually going to work somewhere, or we've had a couple people that have gone through, I wanted to do makeup, I was really bad at it, or I want to do lashes or waxing, I was really bad at it, and acting was my passion and sort of, sort of led them down this path. From when you grad, so you actually, this is a great, this is such a hotbed conversation, Douglas, because the, <laughs> I'm trying to normalize the conversation about what happens when you graduate from school. So, you know, we see a lot of, and there are, there are, of course are exceptions to everything. We see a lot, there are people that graduate from school, immediately go into solo practice and can make a go of it and they're successful and they do it. More often than not, we have a crash and burn scenario where somebody graduates from school, they go and I keep telling the story and I, I hope she's not embarrassed by it, but 
She rents her own suite. She b- borrows $30,000 from her dad, gets a hydrofacial machine, and but she doesn't have any clients. Right. And, you know, there's no, until you start getting educated in the industry, you don't really know how to build your book, first book of business. You don't know any of the stuff you need, the business stuff, other than you know how to do, or you think you know how to do a really great facial. So you're like, all right, I got my own space. So from you having a Shiseido moment of being a makeup artist, so what actually happened? When did you start working in the treatment room? Um, it was kind of an unusual situation in my case, because while I was in beauty school, I was trying to distinguish myself from the flock, right? There, there were like seven yeah. girls in me, you yeah. know, in the, in, uh, there. And I always wanted to take an elegant approach to everything I did. So every day I came to school, I wore a tie. I used to mm. um, uh, pin a, um, a carnation to my chest, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I just had this way, right? Yeah. You know, for a straight man. Yeah. It was highly unusual. And, uh, <laughs> I didn't really know what I was doing all that much, but it appeared I did because of the way I presented myself. So in the local community, this is in Santa Cruz, California, it got around somehow, I don't know, that there's this, you know, this exceptional guy over here at this beauty school who's going to be this great esthetician, makeup artist, whatever. And I started getting interviews. I mean, I I don't know how. And uh, a couple actually hired me before I even got graduated from school to work as an esthetician in their salon uh, uh, nearby. What an honor. And so uh, I did that, but I really, you know, it was basic school. I mean, really basic. You know, we made triangles out of tissue and we had like three pots of grease, right? Pink, blue, and white. And that was our (laughs) facial (laughs) regimen. It was horrible. I couldn't even figure out why anybody would pay for one of these things, right? Much less do it as a career. Yeah. but I had that I had that desire, so they hired me. I had to figure this out for myself. I started getting some customers, and basically it was the same thing. You know, I let my style, my presentation, mask the fact that I didn't know what the hell I was doing with skin, mm-hmm. and I was getting business. Now, this is an interesting insight. It's one of my first insights into this profession, which is that presentation and making customers feel good. Is way more important than the depth of your skincare knowledge. Mm-hmm. Now, manu- cosmetic manufacturers, product manufacturers, equipment manufacturers, they don't want you to believe that, right? Because yeah. they would rather you be dependent upon what they have. Mm-hmm. But what I realized that in my very cursory way, with the, <laughs> the basic products I had, people were raving about their experience with me. Mm-hmm. Total shock to me. But like I said, it was an important insight. So I thought, well, until I really learn the, you know, the, the science here, I'm really going to ramp up the performance of it. Right. Yeah. And that was pretty much it. So um, that worked. And then later on, I, I was hired by a very, very famous uh, skincare business in San Francisco at the time called Fabulous Faces. You may have heard of them. Mm, They've been I've gone heard, quite have, a while now. I've heard reference to it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They were the biggest name on the West Coast by far. Mm. And they hired me. Now, there's another thing. I didn't really know what I was doing when I got there. They said they had 400 applicants. <laughs> I lived 80 miles from the salon. Was right? it in Santa- the city? Yeah, it was in Union Square. Oh, oh okay. All right. <laughs> and yeah. I lived in Santa Cruz, right? And wow. so uh, and I got the job. 
Nice. I couldn't understand it, right? 400 applicants, right? I mean, yeah. I, and they hired this guy one year of experience right, out of school. And uh, what happened was I couldn't understand why they hired me. First day on the job, I met all the estheticians, eight of them, all men. Oh, I was wow. the only guy that had applied. And these are all gay men, right? Uh-huh. And so, and you know, I'm passable, right? <laughs> <laughs> Well, San Francisco at the time, like, I get it. I lived in the city for a long time. I get it. I get it. <laughs> and, and so, uh, and so, of course, it was quite a shock when they realized, you know, I was straight and had a wife and all this. But, um, but it worked out really, really well for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, you know, it was kind of like the neutral voice, you know, with all these men who are always at each other's throats because <laughs> various reasons. But it was a pretty high-strung place. Yeah, and, I can imagine. Um, and then the AIDS epidemic happened mm-hmm. and it wiped out the downtown. Yep. And, and, and myself and one other guy, we were the only survivors. Mm. So um, I decided to go out and look in the suburbs. And I knew a gal who owned a little skincare clinic uh, that had closed. Uh, she allowed me to take it over. She just didn't want to do it anymore. Only three months open. Oh. And I, uh, over the coming years, turned it into quite a phenomenon. Yes. And that's really sort of the, the, the seed, the seed bed of the whole thing. I love it. So the, 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 the experience, so you touched on a couple different things. The, the first one being that you're, regardless of the brand, the products, you know, you had three different colors of grease to rub around on people's faces back in the day, <laughs> uh, which is hilarious. Um, but the, you touched on something that's really key is about the relationship, your relationship with your clients. And when I, I saw your post um, with one of your clients who I, th- I correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like she had been with you for like 34 years, 40, 40 years. Okay. So <laughs> that does not happen without having a phenomenal, obviously you've like gone through so many life experiences together. She probably has all kinds of relationship things. So even though you're not doing professional therapy, you're still doing therapy <laughs> in a different level. But that that relationship aspect of our industry and understanding that it really trumps everything else. It doesn't matter what modality, what product, what anything. Your relationship with your customer is the foundation for your success in this industry. Whether you're going to do it, and we're not really there's not really until you see maybe the operation of a location you're working in, um, how people interact with their clients, how they treat their clients, how they do their consultation. What that, how that relationship actually starts to begin. You came into it. So you've said a couple of key things, just presenting yourself, having the Shiseido background and that whole experience, and then just showing up and, you know, dressing properly for the experience. You already made yourself, put yourself in a special category of like something's different about him. So I want, I want, I want to be, I want to be part of that. And then once you start, started getting into a, a, so it just sounds to me like back in the day, like it would have been a reality TV show having eight male estheticians in one location, having a straight male esthetician, a bunch of gay estheticians. I would just, I would watch that. It would be a Bravo show today, (laughs) but it's huge. So when did you, so talk to me about your, and I get this question a lot with newer estheticians. Mm -hmm. Were you in a situation where the, the spa that you were working in was so had so much notoriety that it fed you clients or were you having to go and actually like build a base, your first book of business? I always had to build. Um, yeah. The first place I worked had no business of that kind at all. It was a hair salon. 
And mm -hmm. they said, oh, we're going to send you a lot of customers. Well, they never did any of that. <laughs> In fact, none of them even came to me, right? <laughs> <laughs> and so that wasn't, that wasn't feasible. Um, at uh, Fabulous Faces, uh, I was the low man on the totem pole, and they had a really awful system whereby if you had an appointment on your book and, and someone senior to you had a cancellation, they just take the appointment. Oh, wow. <clears throat> it was awful. That and would never so, today. Oh, man. There were a lot <laughs> of other issues there. But, um, but that was one of them. So when I, uh, when I finally had a, a, a really firm landing point, which was that small two-room skincare salon that I reopened, that's really where it began. And then I had to get extremely creative about attracting business. I didn't have any money at all. And so mm -hmm. there was no advertising budget, <laughs> to say the least, mostly just gas, right? And then yeah. the rest of it was, uh, oh, and their whatever customer base they had was gone. They didn't even leave me with a book, right? Of yeah. past customers. Uh, no one came, no one called anything. So it was really just oh, like somebody starting a, you know, their own suite uh, right out of school. Mm -hmm. But I, at least I had a little more savvy about what to do. And I did some very, very creative things to win business. And it really worked. Uh, would you like to hear about some of that? I would. So where are, where are you at this point? Are you in Santa Cruz, Los Gatos? Where, where did you set up the, the initial two room spa? It was in uh, Saratoga. And okay, Saratoga is in Silicon Valley. It's probably yeah. one of the wealthiest communities there. Uh, yeah. but, but, but the reason I was there had nothing to do with that. It was just an opportunity. So I just yeah. sort of kind of like a hermit crab, you know, the one leaves and another one moves into the shell. <laughs> well, I love it because the, you know what you don't, people don't know often, sometimes your path of, you know, you, you don't even really have a plan. You're just kind of moving through life and an opportunity presents itself. And when you're prepared to take it and actually do it, you know, that I was so Side note, but when Silicon Valley became, you know, when remember in the early 2000s when dot com was happening and everyone was becoming a millionaire every 24 hours. And I just remember walking by this thing called Facebook in Palo Alto, not even knowing what that even was back then. Like it was just a crazy moment. So, and you know, back then, San Francisco, just the Bay Area, it was just a different time. It was a different time before the technology really took hold and changed the economy. Anyway, sidebar. So you so you get yourself into this location and you're left with no book of business and you have to build this from scratch. So talk, tell us, give us some of the things that you did to actually build your business. Um, well, you have to use your head. So the first thing mm -hmm. I did was I, um, being a makeup artist still, <clears throat> having no business in the salon yet. And by the way, remember, this is, this is 1983. And the aesthetics business was nothing in terms of volume like it is today. Yeah. You know, it's really a, it's still a specialty service. Let's face yeah. it. Yeah. But then it was like <laughs> really specialty. You know, that <laughs> customer was not easy to find. And so uh, one thing I did is I went around to hair salons that didn't have makeup people. And I talked to the owner and say, hey, look, you know, if uh, I've got a, I had at that time a private label makeup line. I said, I'll make you a deal. If you've got a spare chair in here that's empty one day a week, 
and allow me to do this and you help me get some customers, if you bring clients in for makeup consultations and let me sell my makeup to them, I'll cut you a check for uh, 30% of it. Mm. And they're like, sure. Right? Didn't cost <laughs> you them created anything. a referral program. <laughs> That's right. And then, and, and I got to tell you, much of the makeup I sold was to the hairdressers. I would just go in and open this case up right on the, yeah. on the lunch table and they would just peck at it like, you know, like chickens on an ear of corn. They would just, <laughs> I almost didn't have to do anything up front, but they yeah. would bring customers to me. And then they would allow me, because it wasn't in competition with anything they did, to promote my skincare business to the, to the client. And I'd say, you know, mm -hmm. come in for, you know, a free skin analysis and we'll do that and so forth. And here's a discount on your service. So I did this at four different salons. I had a route mm -hmm. and it worked pretty well. The next thing I did was uh, I did, used to do Mary Kay style home parties. Oh, yeah. So we'd go in with our makeup and make up women at night, right? And yep. they'd get, you know, and make sure they were drinking plenty. And then, <laughs> and then they would buy makeup. And the same mm -hmm. thing that we would also promote uh, the uh, skincare salon that way. And the final way I did this is there was a hair salon uh, almost right across from where I was at. And they had, I think, eight or nine hairdressers in there, but they didn't have a receptionist. And so each one of the hairdressers would alternately answer the phone and book appointments for each other. And I thought, oh, well, that's wow. crazy. But they didn't want to hire a receptionist because they say, well, they never last. <laughs> so I went in and I said, look, guys, I'm going to make you a deal. If you will allow me to promote my salon across the street to your customers, I will come in here two days a week and I'll be your receptionist for free. Ooh, and all you wow. have to do is just show me how you book buy me lunch, let me ask my customers after I've booked them with you, by the way, this is who I am and I have a, you know, the, this business over here. And if you would like, I could schedule you for, a, uh, and in this case, a makeup consultation. Mm -hmm. They're like, are you out of your mind? You'll do that for free? I said, it's not free. Mm -hmm. You know, this is, mar this is called marketing. Mm -hmm. And they allowed me to do that. And that's, those are the methods that I used to build that business I hustled like crazy, but I yeah. didn't sit around and wonder where the customers are and get on social media and, you know, and, <laughs> and not, you know, it's like, uh, if I go to like uh, Instagram, for example, you know, I don't have that big a following on there because they haven't been on that long, but you know, 99.9% .9 of my followers are estheticians and not customers. Yeah. Who is yeah. my customer actually? <laughs> right. And, right. <laughs> but um, that's what I did. And I worked seven days a week, long days. I didn't care. What mattered to me was ultimately that I could build this place, which I ultimately did, and uh, succeed with it on the terms you know that I defined it. It worked, and um, I sure don't regret it. I love it. So the the <laughs> another key piece again, you drop pearls of wisdom, and I love that. That's why the podcast exists. Is the you networked. You were networking, you were running around and finding other businesses, knowing that there's active clients getting hair services over here and you're networking. Some of the, the conversations we have now, um, when people are saying, well, I, I want, I need more clients. I need more clients. And I'm like, okay, let's talk about the five to seven mile radius of your business. And let's, have you ever networked with any other local business owner? Invite them in for a treatment. Is there anything, maybe it's a yoga studio, what's close to you? And you know what, Douglas, it's, it's interesting because 
A lot of the girls are terrified. And they everyone has their own personality, right? We we generally in the aesthetic space bring in a little bit more of a more compassionate, empathetic type of personality that's not, you know, I'm six foot four. So I walk into a room, it's a very different experience than esthetician just graduated from school, five feet tall, like and I'm like, you don't don't look at me as the just you have to use your own personality. But just even planting the seed that you should go network with other local businesses specifically if you are a small business owner yourself and start inviting to start networking and that obviously was huge for you having somebody say that they work seven days a week now in 2024 <laughs> i know as a small business owner like i get it there is really no days off but it's a it's a different conversation with our new generation of just coming out of school i love it so how many years how many years were you in that location? Uh, I want and 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 David, I'd like to get back to the to the idea of networking. Uh, I'll, yes. I'll do this first, right? Yeah. But I have some insights I'd like to share on that. Absolutely. Um, I was in uh, that little place, uh, which we expanded a tiny bit uh, for three years. So from 1983, and actually, what happened was the following March 1984, I bought the business. Mm. Uh, from that from that gal we were doing the fee, uh, fee split thing in the beginning and um so i was there till 1986 and uh, there was a, a florist up above us in this shopping complex who went out of business she had about a thousand square feet so mm. we took that over so then we had one two three four treatment rooms i believe and a reception area makeup area and so forth and we were there till 1989 and then uh, uh, then we moved uh, to the street because another business went out and mm -hmm. uh, we were there um, and expanded that and expanded and expanded in a lot of different ways uh, uh, until um, it closed finally in uh, uh, during COVID. And mm -hmm. uh, but I sold my interests out in uh, 2001 mm -hmm. and okay. then became pretty much a full time consultant to the industry. Yeah. Uh, until I went back into practice in uh, uh, 2011. Okay. So that was, was it called Preston Wynn back then? That's right. Preston Wynn. Okay. See, I remember. I know we've been around in the industry long enough. <laughs> it's so sad. It's just sitting there, an empty husk, you know, but um, uh, it, it, uh, it, it didn't, it began to circle the drain at some point, uh, but, you know, not under my watch. Right, right. I know. So that's the, th you know, it's hard to let go of your baby sometimes because you put so much heart and soul to build it to what it was. And I, we were talking offline about a conversation about who acquired it and that whole crazy conversation, which could be a whole nother podcast in of itself. So I, I totally get it. So Douglas, all of this experience, having makeup, building your first book of business, mm -hmm. when did your interest in acne spike? Was it you know, always part of it or did you start seeing like a trend like, oh, I think this is kind of needs a little help in this department? It was pretty late in my career, actually. And, and, and this would really be about 2011. I had mm. treated acne uh, the entire time. It was never a big part of what I did. Yeah. Um, and uh, but but for example, comedone extractions was whether you've got acne or dry skin, you can have these. And mm -hmm. it's a visual thing and people would like them removed. And so, um, and then the extractor story that I created is a little bit of a sidebar, but I have had that since the second year of my career, I invented it 
uh, in 1982. And mm -hmm. um, so uh, we, um, when I came back into practice after I returned to the Bay Area in 2011, I opened a new skincare practice. And um, early in that, uh, I started get it's a little bit more of a conventional neighborhood area, right, than mm -hmm. Saratoga, which is older, wealthier. Um, people started bringing their teens to me with acne. Well, I knew how to treat it. Yeah. And then finally, a um, pediatrician, of all things, brought her 15-year-old uh, son to me for treatment. Mm -hmm. Doctor, right? Mm -hmm. And she said, well, you know, we, I, we really don't like to use medication for this if we can help it. If you think you can help my son. I said, well, sure. And I treated him and got him looking terrific. Mm -hmm. So she said, would you mind if we, you know, our office of six pediatricians referred to you? I said, oh, well, of course I not. It. Right. Mm -hmm. And then it was a flood and, yeah. uh, of, of teens with, with this and then, which naturally leads to more and more and more. And it became uh, at least 50% of my clientele. Wow. When I decided to focus on acne uh, pros as a business, educational business, uh, some product, the, the Preston Extractor, was um, pretty late in my career when I realized that eventually I'm going to be retiring from the service end of it, but I still want to stay in the game. Yeah. So, um, and then the then the the Preston Extractor blew up on on social media. <laughs> yeah, I only sold like a dozen of those things a year, and I never even tried, and now it's thousands, right? And yeah. so, so I had it redesigned. I I got a patent on it, trademark. Uh, have it manufactured in the United States now. Mm -hmm. uh, it's you know, so it's it's a fully, you know, fully pressed in product, and it's uh, and then we created a certification program largely around what I call congestive acne, yeah. not so much hormonal or any of the other types, but the most common type of acne that estheticians treat. Mm -hmm. The extractor makes that whole process far, far easier. And, yes. uh, and now I have retired from service. At Preston Acne Pros is, is what my business is today. And yeah. um, so it's, you know, it, it, uh, it, it evolved uh, exactly the way I wanted it to. And it's, been more successful even than I imagined. Yes, I love that. So what year did you, so after all these, so you, a couple things, you just gave me a whole bunch of things to unpack. So <laughs> the pediatrician, um, and this is, I, I know you know this well, um, if you're listening as an esthetician to this, this is the, probably the predominant reason why clients seek out an alternative is either they have failed some sort of medical therapeutic They've tried, they've been on antibiotics or isotretinoin or uh, spironolactone or something. And within three to six months, their acne started coming back. Um, they start researching alternatives and then they end up coming into the aesthetic camp like, oh, estheticians, like, what is this? So the fact that you had a pediatrician that brought their own child to you, amazing, amazing. Um, I'm sure at some point over your career, you've had the opportunity to talk to a dermatologist. <laughs> Sometimes those conversations get a little heated and I, I appreciate them. So I like, I've learned from all the experience and I take it all in. And then I'm like, well, I'm just going to let, let me just give you a different point of view and perspective because I understand what they're seeing in their practice all day. And they don't understand what we're seeing out in our industry all day. 
the clients are like, all right, I went through that, it failed, so I gotta find something else, another option. So when you realize that 50% of your business is acne and you're like, okay, this is there's something to that, what year did you launch Preston Acne Pros? Uh, fairly recently, I think that was in 2019. Okay, 2019. And we began that, uh huh, and um, and then and then have have begun to you know enlarge what that is. Yeah. Uh, it, it 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 it's got some natural barriers to it that we uh, that we're going to uh, honor primarily because uh, I mean it's just a simple fact. I'm 70. I'll be 71 in March. My wife's mm -hmm. a little older than that. We would like at some point not to be working as much, but we love work. We love doing yeah. this. Um, yeah. if, if I were 30 years younger, oh yeah, I'd be doing full on product line, right? And, we, mm -hmm. and I, the, the whole, the, the whole uh, panorama, but we're not going to do that. Yeah. You know, we're going to keep it within this, the range of what it is now, maybe a little more education, mm -hmm. uh, probably no more product. Uh, and uh, and then ride this wonderful wave out until we sell the company. Yeah, absolutely. And that's on the I horizon. Love it. Yeah, but, uh, I love it. I love. I know yeah, we talked yeah. about some things offline, and I'm excited for you. Um, so, seeing all of the the, and we're gonna we're I want to get a little bit more in depth into the actual offerings that you have as we go through this, so that the listener can understand what options are available to them for continuing education. But Douglas, since you've you've had such a, a amazing span of career from, you know, I, when I started with, I told you that I worked for Dermalogica for seven years and there were certain States, even in, this is not, I mean, it's 2005. There were still certain States, Alabama being one of them that didn't even have licensure. Mm -hmm. And so we would have a rep. She had sent her paperwork to Los Angeles where we were based. And then the customer service would call me and say, this person is saying they want to open an account and they have no license and everything. And I had to explain where the state didn't have any licensure requirements. So if you just want to be an esthetician, you just put the thing on your door and you could practice. So seeing all of the things that you've seen, what are you observing as far as trends from when you started to where we are now in 2024? I know that there's trends, you know, coming and going constantly and you've seen even way more than even I have, but what trends have you seen evolve since you've started? Well, uh, a couple of things. One was the, the day spa phenomenon was probably one of the biggest changes in terms of trends. Mm -hmm. And these are where these businesses, you know, would open up and incorporate all these different services that used to be called a full service salon. Yeah. But then they, you know, but then suddenly, yeah. you know, they, and they had, a, I think it was American Spa Magazine had a logo for that. It was all mm -hmm. about selling equipment and products, right? Yeah. That's the whole thing. It's like, hey, here's the next thing. You guys all got to do this because that's good for us, right? And our advertisers. Of course. And, um, and then uh, I knew that that concept was eventually going to, was going to go south, right? It's too expensive. It's hard to make those places run. Mm -hmm. So now we've seen more of an atomizing of the, of the business. Again, a lot more independent estheticians, you know, than before. Uh, and a lot more people getting it, their license. In fact, yeah. I, I, I wrote a small article, I think, for NASN about saturation point in aesthetics, right? Yeah. Because, you know, if you put 10 more estheticians in a small town, that doesn't create 10 times more customers. It right. doesn't work that way, right? Right. It, yep. it means that there's more hooks in the lake with the same fish, right? <laughs> right. So, right. you know, this whole nonsense about, oh, there's plenty of business for everyone is misnomer. It's silly. If there, are, right. there isn't. 
unless, you know, one client a week's enough for you. Okay. Right. So no, it's, you know, who has the best lure catches the most fish. And mm -hmm. so, and everyone else starves. So yeah. the, uh, so the, the trends that, that I'm seeing have to do with more equipment based um, treatments, right? Mm -hmm. uh, yep. More, um, uh, more of an emphasis on ancillary things such as brows and lashes. Mm -hmm. And in fact, many, many estheticians are only in school just for, just for those services. Yeah. I believe yeah. that's a mistake in the long run because Agree. I've, I've always told people don't base your career on fashion. Base Amen. it on, and and eyebrows and lashes are fashion. Just look back mm -hmm. through, you know, fashion magazines in the history or old movies, yeah. right? Yep, yeah. <laughs> goes around in a circle. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and so, but skincare, it, and what I consider call emotionally driven services, which is mm -hmm. aging and acne, they're eternal. Yeah. They're not yeah. curable, and they're yeah. and 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 while one may recede, the acne. Aging takes over is another horror, right? So <laughs> we're all aging. That's right. And mm -hmm. so I've always kept my business close to those services. Yeah. And I pretty much ignored the, you know, the advances in equipment with exception to a few things like microdermabrasion and so forth. Yeah. But, but my success was never based on that. It was based on client interaction, understanding what they want, providing it in a way that makes sense for them and is simple for them. Yes. In a, a very, very enjoyable environment. And that formula worked and it's worked for 40 decades. And that client I was telling you about, by the way, who came to me for 40 years, mm -hmm. she was the first client that ever walked in the door of that little place when I reopened it. Wow. And she I is not her. a fancy lady. She's, yeah. she's Danish. And she's very severe and she's an attorney and yeah. she's no frills, right? You cannot, yeah. you cannot fool this lady Yeah. But for 40 years. And when I retired from service, she was my last client. I love that story. I love In her. December. I love that story. It's amazing. Yeah. It's incredible. <laughs> yeah. That's truly amazing. So I'll tell you a, a story about the, the modality thing. So I went to the Vegas aesthetic show last June and I hadn't been to a trade show since 2016. And I, I try to, I have mixed emotions about trade shows. I'm, I'm glad that there's more education happening at them. Cause I think that's really the, probably the most valuable piece at a trade show. But I Douglas, I was shocked at how many contraptions, modalities, machines that people could, I was like, when did this happen? Is this a post pandemic thing? Like what's going on in the industry? And I preach that, you know, your hands are the ultimate modality and don't get so carried away with the, the machines. Like if you can invest and add value to your business in the future, let it be a future investment, but don't think that you have to have these machines to be successful. The industry was built off of people's hands. Um, I just think it's amazing because they're, and they're not inexpensive. I mean, there's a lot of the whole med spa thing is a different thing because I know they're spending hundred grand, hundred plus thousand dollars on lasers and stuff, but that's crazy. So, Douglas, some you've had so much experience in owning your own business and now with Preston Acting Pros, but can you give us some essential tips for what you would consider would be really awesome business advice for the up and comers on how to actually make sure that their businesses remain profitable? 
Sure, David. It begins, first of all, by knowing what you want. And mm-hmm. I always knew, you know, when you talk about, you know, working hard, well, you know, I was motivated by a fear of poverty. I did not want <laughs> That'll to That'll motivate poor. you. <laughs> <laughs> it did me. And so, and, and, and having grown up in a poor family, you know, I, I didn't have that privilege of, you know, feeling like everything will be okay, you know, what, no matter what happens to me, or I'll just fall back on my family or whatever. That wasn't an option. Um, but I also knew what, how I wanted, I, I knew what kind of lifestyle I wanted to live, which was, you know, fairly opulent. And I did that well before I, I should have. And, um, but it was fun. And I also knew that I wanted to retire from my work someday without, without ever having to think about my finances. Yeah. And I had an idea about how much money that would take. Well, that's actually grown over the years. Right. <laughs> Changes. The value of money, you know, has, has receded. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I still knew. And I've accomplished it. And, uh, it, you know, it's a, but in terms of your business, it's a matter of making money your priority. And this is always a little hard for most estheticians to hear because yep. they, you know, we have a bad feeling about money. And I like to say that if my priorities in business is money first, always not customer care, not products, not environment money, mm-hmm. because without making money, I can't do any of the rest of it. Yeah. You know, you just mm-hmm. can't. You know, mm-hmm. you can have the most healthy body in the world, but if you drain all the blood out of it, it's dead, right? <laughs> blood is the money of, I mean, money is the blood of business. You have to yeah. have it and you have to have more than you need to keep it alive or you have to just, you're just going along. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I've watched my expenses. Mm-hmm. Uh, I priced according to what I felt I that would give me the kind of income, residual income I wanted. I'm not a business yeah. genius. To me, that's kind of horse senses in a way, but, uh, but I paid attention to it. Equipment I knew only had a certain amount of value. And by the way, I found as years of being a mentor to estheticians that there's three primary things that drive equipment sales. And one is insecurity thinking, oh my God, you know, I don't really know enough about this business. So these machines will make me look better mm-hmm. or fear, which is, I'm not, I, you know, I better get this stuff because I'm, you know, I, I want to keep up right with everybody else. I've been doing well, but now, you know, with these new machines, I might get behind. And the fourth, a third one is boredom. <clears throat> People are just sick of doing the same old thing over and over and over again because yeah. they're, they're focused on the wrong thing. Yeah. And therefore, you know, they buy a toy, you know, to, to try to revive their excitement. And that only lasts so long. Right. And happy uh, for the afternoon, I say. Makes yeah. me happy for the afternoon. <laughs> like Christmas morning, right? You're everything, right? And the next day you want something new. Yeah. And um, so those three things, and none of them are a good idea mm-hmm. because the customer isn't asking you to do it. Mm-hmm. We're, at, we're, put, we're imposing that on ourselves. And, you know, product manufacturers and equipment manufacturers know this. Their mm-hmm. best customer are people that are new in the business or those who are well-established and have high and can create create high volume sales, but that's a harder nut to crack. And so, uh, so it's the newbies who can get a loan, or who you know parents will give them some cash, or they can or whatever that go and they buy all this stuff. Yeah. But but there isn't a there isn't enough customers there to make it worthwhile, and they don't understand how to run that device profitably anyway, and never take the manufacturer's advice about that. Because it's right. not accurate. 
<laughs> so, uh, so in other types of trends, I think um, what we're seeing is just the industry is sort of redefining itself, but always, always from manufacturers back to us. They're mm-hmm. the ones who decide what we need, what we use and all of yeah. that. They're the leaders in education, but, but always to some degree with the motive, rightfully so, yep. that you will do business with them. Yeah. And you, so if you're going to be a savvy business person, you have to see behind that and, and truly ask yourself, will this really help me? Sometimes yeah. people will say, well, I want to buy this machine, right? I'm thinking about buying this machine. What do you think? I said, okay, in the last two months, three months, how many of your clients asked you for it? None. None. (laughs) (laughs) None did. Mm -hmm. So you're going to have to now buy this thing and sell it to them. That's not a good investment. Or or do you know that you're losing business to somebody who has that device? You know this. Not think, Mm -hmm. but you Mm -hmm. know it. Don't buy wait, right. figure it out. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, that's how I operate, which is why I never am in debt. Yeah. I'm always profitable and I don't get every kind of customer, but I don't need every kind. I need the ones right. that make my business hum. And, uh, and that was proved not to be that difficult. Yes. I love that. Well, cause you're doing something right. When you're doing something right, things tend to flow a little bit easier than <laughs> trying to do all things. So I preach all the time about, finding your niche. Um, you know, I had the, the, the amazing experience of working with Horst who founded Aveda as the beginning of my career. And it was very, it was a defining pivotal moment because we were, you know, it's before it's, it's so interesting, Douglas, because I talked to, you know, these, I did an interview with a gal who's 21 years old. She's going through an apprenticeship program. And I asked her, you know, tell me, what is it like? I don't know what it's like to have grown up with having always having access to Google, social media. I remember when Jane was going, going you know what, these, Jane, the founder of Dermalogica, was saying, mm-hmm. these girls have it so much easier than we did because we had to pound the pavement back in the day. We didn't have social media. We couldn't promote ourselves. On There was no internet. There was none of these things. We had to actually, like you said, go knock on the door, do some really interesting, innovative things to get bodies in the bed. She always said, get bodies in the bed. So I see that there is such a, a, you know, a cyclical moment in the industry where I do feel like we're going through a definition. I always, I've been preaching for the last year that sustainable business practices will carry you through, you know, when we go through it, it's not a surprise that we're going into an election cycle, right? I tell everybody, I'm like, listen, happens every four years. And guess what? The economy flips out a little bit. So you're either going to build a business that is affected by what's going on in the nightly news, or you're going to build a business that's going to be sustainable based on your solid practices. And you have to know what those are to not get lost in the fray and then freak out and go and, you know, get in a hundred people <laughs> compound moment on Facebook and start complaining <laughs> about what do I do? What do I do? So we know, and you obviously being having an, and being teaching acne courses and having an extractor tool, we know that acne is the number one skin condition in the United States. Um, you know, I say that the Academy of Dermatology, the American Academy of Dermatology refers to it as a skin disease. I always say skin condition, a treatable skin condition. There are some cases where obviously, yes, medical intervention is required. It's less than people think. Um, you know, we have a way over pre there's way over prescribed 
antibiotics in the U.S. by dermatologists specifically, and it's for acne. And I'm like, okay, that could be a whole nother podcast. So talk in your experience, Douglas, with seeing, obviously having clients for 40 years, did you have, how in depth did your conversations get about lifestyle and diet and nutrition and all of these things? Was this part of your conversation with your clients when they're talking, like they're coming in and they're saying, this is affecting my skin. Was that ever part of your conversation with your clients? it's, it's a good, it's a good topic because, um, my, my work has always been what I've considered practical. And what I mean by practical is it's real world based. Mm -hmm. I never was out to try to change the industry, right. Or revolutionize anything, Mm -hmm. even though my extractor tool did that. And that was quite by accident. It wasn't my intention, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, and, and this is particularly true with acne or with people who are concerned about aging, right? I mean, mm-hmm. aging skin, you know, the, 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 they really even have to do less. Just put your damn sunblock on, right? Morning and night. And Amen. if you work under fluorescent light all night, put it on, right? Just mm-hmm. have to just yep. you know, neutralize that and you'll do more than anything else that you can do topically. Yep. Mm-hmm. And that's hard enough. Mm-hmm. But um, sure, of course, whether it's premature aging or acne and you begin to talk about you know, of course, right now, the big subject is gut health and mi- microbiome, right? Mm-hmm. And and that's great because that's there is knowledge there. Mm-hmm. But what I found over the years, and this is where decades of experience really helps, you know, no, anybody who's fairly new in the industry, even five years, you know, I can teach a lot of things as an educator. Mm-hmm. I can't teach experience. Right. That's just, you know, that's that's a matter of feel and observation, right? And conversation mm-hmm. and, 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 and experimentation to a great deal. I can't explain to people how I know certain things are true. Yep. When it comes to customers, it's the same thing. You know, we idealize that if we, you know, tell clients about, you know, their diet and lifestyle and reducing stress and using all these products, you know, that's going to be great. Mm-hmm. The question, what we almost never do as estheticians is look at our advice from our own perspective. For example, a lot of times when I'm in a, a, you know, a, a trade show and I'm speaking, and that was true in Vegas, and I have two or 300 estheticians in a room, I'll say, okay, guys, how many of you, if we're so passionate about skincare, right? Everyone talks about, use that word passion. Mm-hmm. If you're so passionate about this, how many of you, before you went to beauty school, went to an esthetician every month and paid for it. And the whole room laughs. Mm-hmm. There it right. is. It's right there. Okay. Yep. If now, if you did it, <laughs> right. what do you expect from them? Right. Right. And, right. and you know, or maybe two or three hands and I'll mm-hmm. put my tongue in my cheek even for that one. Mm-hmm. But it's like, okay, look at yourself as an example of what you want them to be. And they don't have the passion you do. Because mm-hmm. you don't want acne either, right? You don't want to age either. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about imposing an ideal on people, then that's fine to dis, you know to dispense the information. Yeah, it is another thing to expect compliance, and I don't because I don't get it right. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so when I and I, and David, uh, you know, over the because I had a background in behavioral psychology, we did a lot of field research. That's part mm-hmm. of what you do. And I've done that in terms of uh, aesthetics and customer behavior is a big, big uh, uh, favorite subject of mine. 
And I did some surveys with people who came to uh, skincare businesses, right? And mm -hmm. got facials and bought products, not the person on the street. That didn't matter to me, but yeah. our target customer. Mm -hmm. And I asked them how often, and also my own customers, right? How often do you use your skincare products according to instruction every day? And what I found, it was about 50%, which means mm -hmm. that fully half of what these products are supposed to do can never be realized by the customer. Mm -hmm. And then you throw in lifestyle issues, right? The drinking, the smoking, the staying up all night, the stress, the bad diet, all that, right? Laying in the which sun. Is, yeah, which probably <laughs> then reduces the efficacy of those products by another 25%. Mm -hmm. I mean, what are we getting here? Right, right. That is the truth of the matter. Mm -hmm. And when I look at that, whether, whether it's kids with acne who aren't following their regimen properly, right? They run out of products. They don't tell their mom, all of this stuff. And, and people who, you know, are advocates of, you know, uh, of anti-aging, there is a difference between idealizing and actualizing. And so I, I position my business to respect the actual, not the hypothetical or hoped for. Yeah. And that's a hell of a lot easier on me and yeah. less responsibility on the part of the client. Cause I didn't want them coming in saying, Oh God, I've been so bad. You know, I forgot to use my sunblock. I said, you're not bad. You're just like everybody else. Think right. I do everything perfectly all the time. Yeah. And that's how I approach this. So clients can always feel good. They never forget why they're there. But at the same time, my job is not to be a nag. It's not to enforce behavior. It mm -hmm. is to, instruct, advise, offer mm -hmm. solutions, and then the client does whatever they want. Mm -hmm. That's a fact. And yeah. that's always kept it positive. It's kept me in business. And, uh, and as I said, it takes a lot of pressure off the esthetician who is you know, trying to push an issue that's really falling flat on most people. Yeah. The actual that you learn over time. <laughs> yeah, the compliance aspect of it. I know I've had in, you know, in some of my previous life experiences that the compliance issue was one of the things that made people the most angry. And, you know, we're, we're going to fire our client. I'm like, well, we, we probably don't want to fire the client. Like, come on, <laughs> this is your livelihood here. So let's not do that. But we can maybe talk about ways of things that they can. And I... So the part of the consultation when we're going through and having this conversation, you know, with somebody about, you know, how much time are you willing to spend on your skin? Yeah. And ask part of that is like, what are you actually doing today? Because they're not going to do a 50 step regimen if they're spending 30 seconds washing their face with bar soap. Like it's a far expectation. Like that's putting the, putting the car too far in front of the horse. But that, that initial conversation, asking the client, how much time are you willing to spend on your skin? How much time? How many products are you willing to apply? Are you willing to do a serum, moisturizer, SPF? Do you want it to be one product? Like, And let the client kind of guide the conversation for what they're willing to do. And if they are going to even do that 50% of the time, like you said, that's a great, that is a great statistic. Yeah, enough. right. Sure. <laughs> because that's real life. So, and it's true. We know with our acne clients, you know, you, it's not really going to speed up your clearing process to skip your routine for a week, which is again, part of the education that we have to do with our clients when they're coming in for treatments. And I love all of that. So let's talk about the, okay, may, may I interject one more thing on that of course, subject, uh, David? Of course. And that is part of what, especially newer estheticians are dealing with 
is it, it goes back to a fear factor, which mm -hmm. is that, well, if they, if the client doesn't do all these things, it could reflect badly on the results of my work. Mm -hmm. This is true with acne. It's true with aging. Right. Mm -hmm. And if that's the case, maybe they won't come back to me anymore. Right. Or they'll think badly of me. That never happens. Never. And so, but it is a worry. Yeah. You know, they've got to do all of this or, you know, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm going to look bad in their eyes. No, clients take responsibility for their behavior. I have never mm -hmm. once in all the years I've treated clients, tens of thousands of people been told by anybody that, well, I don't see anything from what you're doing. And then I can say, okay, what are you doing? <laughs> it's, it's not all me. It's right, never exactly. happened. Yeah. It never once happened. So it's a phantom fear, but that people, you know, react to as if it was, you know, as if it was going to happen any day. And that yes. kind of and that and that fear is laced through all processes of, mm -hmm. of being an independent business person, particularly in the area of sales. Yeah, yeah. No, I I one hundred percent agree that setting up an expectation um, with your clients and then meeting where they're at. Uh, you know, I I'm like if if somebody is used to buying a a drugstore product and then you're asking them to invest in a two or three hundred dollar home care routine. They might buy it one time because they're trying to be nice to you. The psychology of that moment, like I want to be nice to this person because <laughs> they spend time with me. I'm like, that's, you know, your customer. It's just, it's very interesting. So side note tangent about retail and product sales. So when we went through 2008 recession, I was working with Dermalogica. I was managing the Eastern Seaboard. And we made a decision as a company at that point in time. I didn't. I knew the conversation had been happening, but I didn't realize it was going to be actually executed to partner with Ulta. And the brand took so much heat for going into Ulta. You're this. We've been promoting this for years, and you're selling out, and all all this crazy stuff. But when we did our research, Douglas, and we started asking clients, the clients, because the economy had essentially crashed, people lost half of their values of everything, their retirement, their homes. Like it was a moment in time. People felt bad about not being able to afford an aesthetic service. They still wanted their products. Mm -hmm. And it was a moment, this is, you know, we didn't have technology to give people links and things for estheticians to be able to have individual product sales and benefit from that. So people were like, I feel less pressure, emotional pressure by not going into the spa and buying that product off the shelf because I can't afford to book a treatment. And it was easier for me to go to Ulta and complete that transaction. And I was like, this is, this is a psychology lesson here because we're people don't want to have bad feelings. And it's the same. It, I equate it to like hairdressers. If you have a long-term relationship with a hairdresser and you're like, I don't really like the way they do my hair anymore. And you want to then sit in the person's chair next to that hairdresser. It is the most uncomfortable <laughs> situation. Like, but no, that's my client. And you're like, okay, this feels awkward. You leave the salon, you go somewhere else. That's right. So there is an expectation aspect of it. And we don't want our clients to ever feel bad. We want to meet them where they're at with whatever budget that is. And if it's one product or five products, setting the expectation up for what's really going to actually transpire is okay. It's totally okay. It is. I mean, I understand the estheticians' uh, alarm and ire over those kinds of uh, when when major companies <clears throat> that have established that have established themselves in the aesthetics or the hair market, mm -hmm. you know, go over and, and get bought up by corporation. Of course, that yeah. happened with Aveda, yeah. and um, and then Dermalogica as well. Yeah. The, the the 
the problem comes in it, it is the original message, David, which mm-hmm. is that okay, what a, what a company is saying is that these products are very special, mm-hmm. and they and we only want them sold by estheticians because of their efficacy. Right, estheticians need yep. to know how to prescribe them. You know, we don't want you know lay people to just go walk up to a shelf and buy it. Okay, yep. that's fine, but at some point that changed. Mm-hmm. Now anybody can do it. So it begs two questions. One is, uh, why is it suddenly that anybody can buy these products? Were they professional products only? Or did mm-hmm. you reformulate them suddenly to where anybody can safely use them? You see, mm-hmm. there's there's a lie behind this. Mm-hmm. And, and not that many estheticians actually figure it out. Yeah. It's like, how come suddenly these products, which had to be sold in a special environment by special people, now can be bought by anybody. Mm-hmm. What's yeah. that's that's what troubles me, and I don't yeah. blame any company for selling out to you know L'Oreal or you know Moet uh, Louis Vuitton Moet Hennessy or Cosmere. Yeah. Any you're fine, right? I do yeah. it. Yeah, but, but the people that are left behind, yeah, are stuck with that awareness, and so authenticity does come into question. And, mm-hmm. and integrity at that point. So, you know, it's so this this goes back to some of the things that you said earlier, which, you know, your people and uh, our industry is very, as we know, and I see it all all day, every day, people are very loyal to the brands that they partner with, and they feel like their feelings have been personally hurt by something. Yeah. And I've been on both sides of this, right? I've been with the private company, then the public company, then the private equity company, then the Unilever. Like, I understand the nuances that take place. And I, this is the statement that I think was like the mic drop. <laughs> I was like, listen, <laughs> here you are. You have spent the last 30 plus years building your business. And this company comes along and sees value in what your business offers and offers you a half a billion, billion dollar paycheck you're going to take the billion dollars as yes. a business owner, like true business understanding that, that at some point in time, you do have to exit. Now, there are some ex- examples in our industry, specifically like Paul Mitchell is an example that is still a private company after all of these years and has very strong loyalty. And that's right for that business. And it doesn't mean that every business will be sold. Maybe there's a family lineage that they want to pass it down to. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make it wrong. But the the point that I like to drive home is that your business is about you and the decisions you make for your specific scenario. And it has to be, of course, there's going to be partnerships along the way, but everything is at a different life stage. It's all at a different life stage and it's okay. So we just, I, I took some heat for, and I haven't worked for Dermalogica since 2011. And I was at a show in Florida and this esthetician just unleashed on me about Dermalogica. And I, I just stood there and listened to her because she wanted to be heard. I was like, you have your story. I'm going to let it be out. And then I went back and said, you know, after you've been doing this for 30 or 40 years and someone comes along and says, I'd like to give you $300 million for your business, you're going to take it. And her, she kind of changed her frame of mind for a minute. But I was like, we don't want every, we got to think about it from a bunch of different perspectives because it's true. It's a different life stage and it's okay. And yeah. it's all right. It's um, business. Our, it's business. So I, I'm going to jump down here, Douglas, because I want to talk to you about your, it's 11-11. I want to talk about Preston Acne Pros and the, 
I'm a high advocate for postgraduate education. And I know you, you know, probably when you started and you're like, I need an extractor tool, there probably wasn't that many extraction tools even available back in the day. Um, and I know there's a, a variance of quality across the board and there's some of them bend and I'm like, okay, well, we probably don't want to be applying that much pressure if it's bending, but talk to us now about press and acting pros. So you have, so I, the reason why I wanted to talk to you so badly, um, is because you have experience. So the thing that our industry, one of the things, and I, you know, we'll call it a trend is that everyone's an expert. Everyone's a consultant. Everyone's a coach. Everyone's a marketing expert. Everybody's selling this $250 thing. And I'm going to get you 500 clients. If you just, you implement my marketing thing. And I'm like, where's the experience you guys who, where did this person come from? Have they built something from scratch? So I take my hat off to you because I appreciate people in the industry. I really value success from people that have created things from nothing and you've been in it for so long. So you now being able to take a, take a different approach. Now you're like, I'm not going to be in the treatment room every day, but I'm now going to continue to offer education resources to the industry. Talk to us about Preston acting pros and what your intentions are behind your offerings. Now the company uh, is built around, and thank you for that, David, the company is built around my extraction tool. Yeah, I created that tool out of frustration many, many years ago, because, and by the way, the extraction, other than mine, the extraction tools we have today are the same ones that we had in 19 <laughs> from the beginning, same ones, right? <laughs> they work the same way. And they're about as efficacious as they used to be. There's a place for them, right? Yeah. There's a place for for fingertips wrapped in cotton. Yep. But but I was frustrated by particularly closed comedones and those that are uh, uh, located around the lower jaw, the neck, very mm. hard to get those out under any circumstances. And I mm. wanted to do it. Not only that, but also the, the speed at which I could operate this procedure yeah. and get the maximum amount of, of, of pore clearing uh, as possible per, per appointment. Yeah. Long story short, I came up with this tool as a result of a, a tool I borrowed from a dermatologist of all things. Mm. It was a fenestrated uh, lancet. And I created this curvature and edge that has to be used in a specific way under certain pressure uh, to have kind of a lifting effect on the follicle rather than squeezing yeah. it from side to side or just you know put, pushing down with a cup and hold. Mm -hmm. uh, or a loop, right? That glides over the skin, but oftentimes will break a comanone in two. So you, it appears to be removed, but it only, is only partially. And mm. um, long story short, I created this thing. It worked. You know, I had to create a method for it as well. Yeah. And for many, many years, I, I had this and I created it for myself. And then later when I had some employees, I taught them how to use it. They did. And then a little over time, people would hear about it, say, can I buy one? Yeah, you know, I'd make one up for them. Uh, and it finally just blew up on Instagram when people started showing this thing, right? They're like, yeah. oh my God. So social media was great for that purpose. Mm -hmm. But but at the same time, we needed to educate people better on the use of this thing. And so one of the one of the realizations I had when I looked into the various acne programs out there, all of which are competent, in my mm -hmm. opinion. I don't say that we're the best. Mm -hmm. But we focus on what I call congestive acne, which is follicular blockage that build that can build uh, bacteria, 
which then leads to a response in the follicle for inflammation. And then you have, you know, the, this aggressive acne or yeah. non-inflamed acne, right? Mm -hmm. Which in my opinion, if you've just got a lot of blackheads, I actually don't consider that acne. I consider yeah. that an aesthetic issue, right? Yeah. But some people will come in with hundreds of comedones, not a single inflammation, none. Yeah. And they never get it. So I decided to create an educational program that addresses that specific condition which is congestive acne. It's the most common type of acne that estheticians encounter. Mm -hmm. And you have to get you you have to get that skin evacuated with all these yeah. plugs in order to get quick results. And yes. so because everything else is a workaround, including mm -hmm. isotretinoin, as you know. Yes. And so uh, and salicylic acid and so forth. It's it, it encourages the you know the uh, ejection of that, but it doesn't really work very well. So I created a certification program that focuses on this type of acne. You don't need to know everything about acne to get great results, but you really need to know this. Mm -hmm. And this is how to use the tool uh, uh, in conjunction with that. And then that fits nicely into just about anybody else's program because it's so unique to itself. Yeah. And uh, and and that's what I did. And so uh, and other uh, educational programs I have on my site actually had to do more with my general consulting days for uh, estheticians and spa owners. And you'll see that too on the site. But that's yeah. really that's really who we are and what it's about. Yeah, that's a resource. So something that I think is really key that I, I so I was actually in Arizona training um, Mariah and she had your extractor tool. And I said, oh my gosh, I'm like, I saw your um, extraction solution on her, her little table and I was like, I need to get, I need to put it, I wrote it down. I was like, I need to call Douglas. This is like last August. I was like, I need to call Douglas. We need to see what's going on. But I think that the, one of the other trends that is going around in the industry right now is the virtual aesthetics is a thing. It's happening and you know, you're, you'll see it and you're like, okay, I've been around long enough to know that I am, I'm very passionate about you guys. You know what? You're the power of touch. Um, your ability to do chemical exfoliation, do extractions cannot happen virtually. And this is, needs to happen in person. So I don't want everyone to get off on this bandwagon. I'm just going to have a virtual business and I'm just going to ship products. And that's, you might have some success with some of your existing clients that leave and they need to go upstate. You need to have some consultation, but the real magic is in the treatment room. And that's why we have an industry. Like that's it. That's why we have it. So these resources of learning how to do a proper extraction with a really specific tool are unmatched. They're not, you can't, you, there's never gonna be a virtual situation where you're like, okay, let me show you how to do an extraction with this tool. You're not, it's a professional use tool, you guys. That's why it exists. That's why we have it. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. You know, we, we've sold a lot of those tools to people who haven't had our hands-on course. We have a virtual yeah. course for it, right? They can look yeah. at that. And yeah. many, many demo videos, but yes. nobody, Nobody uh, who owns that tool and hasn't taken the hands-on practice will ever realize the magic of that thing. It's just, you just need to be there. And, um, and fortunately, we have so many who do. But, but I see people using it incorrectly all the time on Instagram. Yeah, and it's like, like no. 
it, but the, and they're getting a good result from it. Not the yeah. best, but good. And then I'll usually write the behind the scenes and say, yeah, let me have a couple of suggestions for you here. <laughs> right, right. Thank you so much. But, you know, even used incorrectly, it works pretty damn well. But, yeah. but, but properly, it's, it's just magic. And, um, and, and there's nothing out there, else out there like it. Yeah, totally agree. And I also, the, when a client is um, congested acne specifically, the the path to getting their skin clear i i say it's skin is like your fingerprint it's one size fits one and it's going to be different for everybody and there's a lot of factors multifactorial but being able to go see your licensed esthetician having a professional treatment with professional extractions utilizing this tool your skin will clear faster than if you're just at home beating it out with home care trying to be overly aggressive with whatever product line you're using you will actually get better results and this is one of the areas where i feel like in our industry the aesthetic space specifically is under it's underdeveloped and when you had a pediatrician bring your their kid into you for their acne i mean such an awesome opportunity because there is we we don't even i'm like how do i how do i as a brand bring awareness to the alternatives for acne treatment where there is a lot of people that just run immediately to the dermatologist and you know depending on which dermatologist you go to if you're in a ppo or an hmo you're having usually a 5 to 7 minute appointment the dermatologist is looking at you very rarely are they saying what is your diet are you doing this do you use skincare da, da, da. nope they're looking at four different therapeutics they're going to go through and they're going to prescribe something and it's not, we, we, it's just an awareness campaign, Douglas, you know, I'm just an independent brand. So I'm like, how do we have a say no to drugs campaign? I've got all these funny ideas of how I want to do it, but the, we're, we're never going to take the place of the opportunity for the esthetician of being able to provide this type of a service. So it's an amazing opportunity. You guys, if you're looking for a better way to perform extractions, obviously you've got to look up precedent. Preston Acne Pros to get some more education opportunities that are available for you. Douglas, are there any um, skincare myths that you encounter that you would like to debunk from all of your years of experience in the oh, industry? For, uh, there are too many <laughs> to mention. Everybody knows what they are. Um, right. I would like to go back uh, real quickly to the term, uh, to the idea of networking. Yeah. If you don't mind, because it's one of the most misunderstood opportunities out there. You know, we hear we need to network, network, network. There's a big mistake um, uh, that that takes place. One of the things is that uh, uh, some people have these networking clubs, right? And everybody, yeah. you know, you join it, and everybody. And what you realize is that when you get into one of these networking arrangements, it's all fishermen and no fish. Right. right? Nobody has a customer for you. They're all looking for one. Right. So those are almost worthless. When you're when you're looking for a networking partner, here's what you do. First of all, you target somebody who may likely have access to customers that you need. Okay. Where's the best place to go? Hairdressers, for example. Yes. Right? They, yes. they serve people who are interested in their appearance. Mm -hmm. Now, the mistake that most people make when they want to network is that they are asking for something. And the best way to do it is to ask your potential networking partner what they want mm -hmm. put them in the recipient's chair do you mm -hmm. are you looking for more customers what kind of customers what are your specialties because i get a lot of customers who probably would like to have a good hairdresser or 
you know, and in conversations I've had with many of my clients over the years, they're talking about, you know, I used to go to this person, but she moved and now I don't have a hairdresser or, you know, my person used to really do a good job and it doesn't seem like she cares anymore. And also leading questions like that I might say is say, hey, you know, your hair looks pretty cute, but, you know, when's the last time your hairdresser had a good idea for you? And they're like, like, never. I said, you know, would you be interested in talking to someone I know? Because I think your, you, your parents just has this potential. For, and yes, they're like, sure. They're, it's so easy to take yeah. a client away from a hairdresser who's been yeah. neglecting them. Really yeah. easy. Clients never forget why they're in that chair. Yeah. But, but, the, but the professional can. And so the, um, so sure, right? So it's like, okay, I would love to give clients for you right so you start with the offer to them show them what's the benefit for them and then say and by the way it would really be nice if i if if uh, when the circumstance arises that you might let your clients know about what i do and sometimes i would give them like a brochure rack right that they could put yeah. on their station and yeah. i would ask for the same thing and this way you have a win-win arrangement but you show you you are demonstrating your care for the benefit of your networking partner first. That's what you want to do because yes. everybody in business wants a customer. Mm. And if you, instead of, they don't need somebody who needs a customer. Right. <laughs> it's a trade. Right. So this is the proper way to go about networking. Find out what this person could use that you could help them with. And sometimes, yes. even if it's a bit distant, like a dentist, I would put them in my newsletter. Yes. And, and talk about them, put their picture. Mm -hmm. Here's their business. Right. And then mm -hmm. I've got a rack of, uh, of brochures in their office because people are sitting there waiting and, you know, doing yes. nothing. Yes. So this is the proper way to network that and that method works. So bear that in mind next time that you told you should go network is it's one thing to have the concept. It's another thing to know how to do it properly. Right. And I, you, I, you nailed it on the head with the asking about their needs first, as opposed to putting your needs out there. Like, how can I help you? You touch, it gives me, gets me riled up because, you know, as you know, we're out here in Palm Springs and I can't wait when you come out here for vacation, we'll have to get together. But the, <laughs> the, the hairdressers, Douglas, that are out here in the Valley, um, there, they went to beauty school 30 years ago and have never taken a postgraduate education class. And they're still cutting hair exactly like they did in hair school. And I'm spoiled because I've traveled the world and I've been, I spent a lot of time in New York and San Francisco and LA and Atlanta. And like, I, I get it. And so I'm like, I see these specific techniques come out. And I'm like, huh. You've never taken another class a day in your life, and I got to get out of here because I look like a Q-tip more than I already look like a Q-tip. It just makes me crazy. So, and I, I don't want to ever let let anyone in our industry think that you're ever going to be. If you sit in a place where you're like, I know everything, then you should retire because you're not ever going to know everything. And there's constant learning, which is why I preach the postgraduate education and going and getting yourself. Clients are looking for mastery. This is what, so in my 25 year, it's almost going on almost 30 years, Douglas, like wow. how is it happening? How does this happen? It's going on almost 30 years of being in the industry <laughs> and seeing consumer behavior shift. Um, clients are looking for mastery. And I tell estheticians, you know, you're, you know, with a TikTok search, you know, your client's getting infiltrated with 500 different ways of people that are treating their acne. 
and none of which are right or correct or beef tallow or whatever they're doing on their, I'm just like, what is going on? It's TikTok, right? They're looking for <laughs> views. They're not looking, they're just looking for content creation. So I'm like, look at that. You're going to separate yourself from the herd by being the educated esthetician that really understands thoroughly how to provide an exceptional service. And that exceptional service, the opportunity for that is based off your relationship with your client, you having a 40 year relationship with a client. If you're an asshole and you want to expect that your client's going to come back to you every three weeks for a treatment, it's not going to happen. So the continuing education aspect of it, I go and speak at the local aesthetic school here and they, the estheticians can drop in at the first of every month. You know, it's a rotating program. So these three girls are getting ready to graduate in a week. These just started. And and I asked the question, what do you want to do when you graduate? Like, where do you want to work? And before the pandemic, everybody would raise their hand and say, I want to work in a med spa. Now I'm like, do you want to work? We're in, obviously there's a lot of resort spas out here. Do you want to work in a resort spa? Do you want to look at a cruise ship? And they're just looking at me, Douglas. No one's even had the ask the question, what do you right. want to do? And so I say, I my advice is find somewhere to work, go somewhere where you can have a, some sort of mentorship where there's either clientele, hairdresser, something that can feed you some business, learn some things, practice, do some lashes, do some waxing, figure out what, what your passion is. And then move in that direction. And that's really well how you will build an, a business and that can be sustainable and all these other fun things that we talk about. But it all happens with education. That's it. It's education. It's so, sound advice. Absolutely. Yes. And, you know, the, the first two people that hired me, all I really learned was not what not to do. And um, uh, but at the same time, just that experience alone was valuable. Absolutely. And, uh, and then and it's like, well, <laughs> this isn't that hard. I can, I can see what companies do to tear themselves apart. But, uh, you know, putting something together is not that difficult. If you're if if, if you're dedicated to it, you want to put in the time um, and have the time. Right. Because many people who start out in the industry think that's going to be fast and it is not. Right. As I said, the aesthetic customer is a rare bird mm-hmm. and you have to be willing to wait to catch them. And then yep. you got to hold on to them. Yes. Uh, and eventually they'll all leave you. So you have to keep bringing new ones in. You know, that just happens. That 40 year client, I've got one 40 year and I have a, a couple of 38s. But you yeah. know how many people I've worked with? <laughs> I know. Like really, out of the thousands of people. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's right. Right. It's a so rare, the, rare, rare, rare thing. The, Can't even the, imagine how I, many. We have, I have a couple clients that are, are getting to that 60, 90 day waiting list, which I think is phenomenal. They've really built a strong business and, but that's not the norm. And that's obviously having a lot of experience to get in that space where they could actually build that kind of a client. And they're also in specific markets. So it's not, again, just like I say about skin, it's one size fits one. Um, Douglas, tell us what your, so I have one more question and then I want you to tell everybody where they can find you and stuff. But looking ahead in the industry for as long as you have, do you, do you have any um, anticipation for how the world of aesthetics is going to change? Do you see anything on your radar that's you're like, yep, I see the industry going in this direction? Not necessarily. You know, I'm, I'm pretty good at looking over the horizon mm-hmm. and, um, and, and, and have a plan for that. You know, uh, yeah. what I plan for are recessions, for example, yeah. I, I mm-hmm. certainly didn't plan for the, pandemic but oh. you know but because i planned for recessions i got through the pandemic yeah because yeah. <laughs> i know what yes. that's like yeah. and um and i've been through four or five recessions in my profession but um 
I don't necessarily see any great changes in it. I think it's going to be more gradual and a natural uh, evolution mm -hmm. uh, unless uh, laws are passed that, inter that interfere with what we're doing. Yeah. Or um, a magic cure comes up for acne, then it really yeah. works. Or, yeah. uh, you know, somebody d discovered the gene for aging and stopped that. Uh, and mm -hmm. so, I mean, these are very, very unlikely uh, events yeah. that will happen. Uh, and, I, I, you, and you probably were around. And I remember when, uh, when, for example, laser hair removal became a thing. And anybody who was in the waxing business, oh, my God, right, it's <gasps> over. Right. It's all over. Well, it isn't. <laughs> mm -hmm. It is okay for some people. Botox, yeah. Restylane, Juvederm has not changed the fact that most people don't get those services, right? And right. yet still have concerns about, um, still have concerns about their, uh, their appearance. Uh, if anything, there is a greater and greater and greater profusion of as you were talking about earlier with marketing people, beauty experts out there, right? Most of them are hacks and mavens, but they they have a voice and they have a, a, a means of selling to people. But that's always been true to some yeah. degree. And while mm -hmm. estheticians get upset about that, remember, estheticians actually horned in on Avon's business. <laughs> oh my God. I... That's the truth. That's an old <laughs> company, right? They weren't exactly right. thrilled to see us. So right, fair is fair. Right. And, yeah. um, and Mary Kay and all the others, the MLS, yes. they have their place and they have a right yep. to be there. And we can be, you know, I'm not going to get in that street fight. It's like, yeah. okay, you know, fine. The, but the question is, who is your customer? You need to know who this is and mm -hmm. why they're with you and how you're different than anyone else and how to satisfy that need. And that comes through spending time to get to know that person, putting them first, really listening to what they're saying. Find the emotional reason that they're with you, not the visual, the emotional. Because yes. remember, mm -hmm. a person who has acne and it doesn't bother them doesn't have an acne problem. They have right. acne. They don't care. <laughs> right. A person right. who gets older, like me, for example, right? I, I could get a neck lift. I could get, you know, fillers. <laughs> I could get all that stuff. I could get hair implants where yeah. I've receded. It yeah. doesn't bother me. So I'm yeah. not the customer for that. But there right. are some people that they see the slightest change in their appearance and they're panicked about that. Mm -hmm. And that was especially true when I worked in Hollywood. You know, and, oh, and people imagine. saw things that didn't exist and wanted it yeah. treated. So, so as long as, and that customer, I believe, will always be there. They need a timeout. They need rest. They need to be listened to. They need to be touched. Mm -hmm. uh, so that, for me, is, is what makes us a completely exceptional experience. And if you ride on that, you can do all right. And probably Absolutely. for a long time in the future. Yes. You know, if, if therapy hasn't gone away, neither will we. <laughs> <laughs> right. The never ending. You're never going to get to the bottom of it. I know. I, I appreciate I love it. And it's the, the, I, I think that the, the connection, the human connection piece between estheticians and their clients um, is such a powerful thing where in today's society, there's not a lot of positive touch things that are happening where when you're going into see your esthetician is a positive experience. Um, and where we became very detached in the pandemic and we're afraid of everybody and everyone germs. And it's just a connection point that we can't ever discredit 
the relationship of it. Yes, you're going to get some results for your skin. Yes, you're probably going to get to go with some great products. But that relationship, with that's another human connection that you have in your personal life. And as you know, I'm sure you've heard stories over your career of divorces and kids and fine. I mean, you know, you get to hear just about everything. It's, it's another form of therapy in my, in my opinion. So Douglas, tell, I know you, we could have a, we could be, have a four hour podcast and we could literally just keep talking and talking because we have so many things to talk about, but tell the listener. So we put this up on YouTube. We put it up on Spotify, all podcast platforms. Tell everybody where they can find you. Uh, you can find us at PrestonAcnePros.com. And there you'll see what uh, what uh, our company is about, uh, yeah. and uh, whether it's our educational programs, uh, our live trainings, uh, uh, the tools that we have, and uh, and some prep product, and also our yeah. greater educational programs in practice management, business management, building personal confidence, and so forth. And it's all tried and true. It really works. It's all based on customer psychology, which is the foundation of of, of all motivation, and. Um, and uh, we'd be happy to um, be happy to serve you in some way. So uh, uh, thank you for this opportunity to uh, absolutely. No, it's been it's been my pleasure. So if you guys are listening and you want more information about uh, Douglas's company, it's PrestonAcnePros.com. This episode has been generously sponsored by Wish Skin Health. Wish is focused on the holistic treatment of acne without the need for harmful prescription medication. If you are looking to level up your aesthetic practice, we would love to have you as a certified Wish Pro. Visit trywish.com, that's T-R-Y-W-I-S-H.com. Click on the pro tab for further details. All right, Douglas, thank you so much. I appreciate you. I appreciate your time. Um, I want to ask you real quick before I let you go. Have you had the opportunity? Have you read this book? No, um, I'm sure it's a really good book. Uh, I, I, the only thing I really knew about her, I mean, I've, of course, over the years I've read about her, I, and I also uh, was a makeup artist for Lauder for a while, you know, just yeah. freelance. Yeah. But um, but when I was consulting for Estee Lauder spas, um, just before, as a matter of fact, just before 9-11, uh, they were having some problems with these spas. And I was asking them, how come they don't have a, you know, they, the, the big problem was they couldn't sell any products in the spas. And I said, well, mm -hmm. why not? They said, well, we're in department stores. And the department store makeup counter, cosmetic counter, sells our products, and we can't compete with that. And I said, "Well, then create a, a new brand that that's exclusive to the spa." And they yeah. said, "Esty will not give us another dime for this business." She didn't want to do it in the first place. We talked her into it. She's pretty pissed, and because <laughs> they were losing money out of her fist. And yeah. uh, and it's a, a story I'll tell you about some other time. And uh, so I said, "Well, the game's over. Just close them." They yeah, had 12 open right. at the time and they did. Yeah, I'm yeah, sure. I think I, I'm I sure. the guy that put it to sleep. <laughs> I love it. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to say goodbye. Okay. Well, thank you guys for listening to this episode of I wish podcast. We appreciate you like, and subscribe. Give us a, a rating. If you re, if you love this episode, give us a five-star rating on Apple reviews. We'd love it. We appreciate you. Thank you for listening. And we'll talk to you next time.